Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I'm your host, Aaron Palmer, and today we are joined by BJ and Daniel. Hello, guys. Welcome. Hello. Hello. I'm so glad you guys are here. Yeah, good to be here. Awesome. Um, well, let's jump right in. Um, we are going to have a source material and adaptation to discuss today. So, BJ, could you take it away and tell us what our source material is today? Uh, yes, I can, Aaron. Today's source material is the wonderful book Annihilation by uh, Jeff Vandermeer, uh, and it was published in 2014. It's it's part of a trilogy, and the trilogy was planned when it was written. They actually came out as a, uh, it was like a Netflix series where you could read all three at the same time. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, and then, Daniel, what is our adaptation today? Uh, and the adaptation is the same name, Annihilation, uh, and it was written and directed by Alex Garland in uh, 2018. Um, and it stars Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez, and Tuva Novotny as the main characters. Yeah, I'm not sure where she's from. <laughs> That's very cool. Awesome. Before we get into the discussion, I just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware that um, obviously the, the whole point of this podcast is to have an in-depth discussion about a story and the adaptation that was created from that story. So news alert to everyone, there will be spoilers. Um, so anybody who would like to read the book or see the movie without having anything revealed, I would highly recommend that go, you should go back and read the book or watch the movie and then you can come back to us so we can do a deep dive together. But if you don't care, then strap in. And we're going to talk about this a lot. So before we jump right into that topic, um, I just wanted to ask the both of you, are you guys pro-source or pro-adaptation? So I saw the movie first. And when I first saw it, I really loved it. And, you know, I, I remember after I watched it, I went home and I was like watching YouTube videos like talking about it because I knew that it was based on a book and other people had obviously read it, but I had not. After reading the book, obviously, I like book more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Daniel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, kind of a similar way. I uh, I saw the movie first when it came out. Uh, I saw it in theaters, probably one of the like a dozen people who saw it in theaters. And it was wonderful. I mean, terrifying to see in a theater. Definitely a movie that benefits from that sort of overwhelming big screen and loud noise. But then uh, BJ actually is the one who told me to read the books. And so I uh, then I read the first book and uh, came to the same conclusion that the first book is just so well written uh, that yeah. I just had to like I just had to love it more <laughs> because it's just so good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I actually am on the same boat. I, I saw the movie first because Daniel actually told me about it and how little coverage it had been getting for being such an incredible story. Um, and I, I totally agree. It was an amazing cast, an amazing concept, and I had heard nothing about it. And I watched it by the time that it had already come to DVD. So I, I didn't get that awesome theater experience, which I'm very envious of, because the soundtrack alone would be crazy to see in a theater. Um, but then again, you know, BJ is the the uh, tie to the book as well for me. And I, I'm having a really hard time deciding because they're completely separate reasons why I like the book versus the movie. So I actually am on the fence. I, ha I love both of them for totally different reasons. But 
I'm very excited to to kind of dive deeper on why that is. So um, thank you for sharing that. And then I guess we'll just jump right in, BJ. Um, do you want to, uh, let's talk about the book first. So do you want to give us a quick synopsis of the book? So I'll read, um, I'm going to read from the back cover of uh, Annihilation. I don't know what, um, I don't know what edition this is, but it's got, it's not the movie one. It's got the the art from, you know, the art that was made for this book. It was cool um, before the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was from before the movie. So, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so here, here's what it says on the back. I'll just read the first paragraph. Great. Area X has been cut off from the rest of the world for decades. Nature has reclaimed the last vestiges of human civilization. The first expedition returned with reports of a pristine, Edenic landscape. The second expedition ended in mass suicide. The third, in a hail of gunfire as its members turned on one another. The members of the 11th expedition returned as shadows of their former selves, and within weeks, all had died of cancer. In Annihilation, the first volume of Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, we joined the 12th expedition. And it goes on to, you know, explain a little bit more, but but uh, it's a that's a pretty interesting, like, first paragraph that that's what they focus on yeah yeah i was just thinking that that's a very weirdly aggressive way to to describe the book which i don't feel like you get that kind of like powerhouse of an intro in the book it's much more subtle yeah yeah and i just feel like i never read back (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah interesting okay well, that's crazy and very different, and I'm excited to break that apart. Um, so I guess yeah. my, my first question for you, both of you is um, just at a glance, what stood out to you guys about just the structure of the book, the character development, like literally, like anything that comes to mind of the first thing that you think of this book? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw something in real quick. I think uh, I love I love books that are are told from a single narration point of view. Um, and this one is told from the point of view of the biologist. And I love that that's just all we get. We only get that point of view. And and it starts so abruptly. And so it's like, you're just like right in it, just from her point of view, just from page one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're dropped right into the middle of this world and they kind of build it around you, which I'm also very much for. I love being immersed without even realizing it until you're just in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the first words in the book are the tower. Yeah. Like, we're just in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Daniel, that actually brought up a point that I wanted to to talk about is um, the way that they address the characters in the book. So some, something that stood out to me is none of the characters are addressed by name. There's right. no name oh, yeah. in this book, which yeah. is wild to me. Um, I've never read a book that never had names in it. It's so weird. And it actually took a second to realize that, oh my God, they've never said any names. So they they address them as, you know, the biologist and they address them as the uh, psychologist and the physicist and- um, Uh, They have a surveyor. surveyor, Yeah. yeah. Their names are their titles. Like their names are their like function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting because they actually address it in the book where that you know in the very beginning they mentioned that part of their their military training is that they they can't 
or they shouldn't really address each other by name because you start to create bonds and you're not there to befriend people. You're there to discover and research for the military. And so you just Uh. drop all of that kind of colloquialism that you would normally have in a a normal setting. And they just say just it's kind of wiping the slate clean. And I thought that was such an incredible plot device, I guess it almost is. Uh, um, it's so interesting. It is. It is really cool. And I've never read a book like that before. Yeah. It, and it feeds into like, you know, they, they use that because their identities are like something that Area X can like use against them or or if that's what they think is going on. Like, so it makes sense in the story. And it's also like a storytelling mechanic. Yeah, I think I think it's it's kind of feeds into the idea because the main character uh the biologist at least i guess is is the main character since it's her point of view that we're getting yeah i would Um, say she is so i would say she's the main character uh it's it's interesting because her character in the book is kind of detached from like people as a a whole 100 percent uh and so it almost like when I first started reading it, I I actually thought before the book actually I think states I think she says something like they told us not to tell each other our names. But I, when I first started reading it, I actually thought it was because she just didn't care to learn their names. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> because she just doesn't like care about yeah. anything except like her goal. And I agree. I think they they do a really interesting job of making her seem very disconnected from just regular society because they have a lot of beautiful imagery in the book about how she is much more at peace and in in full connection with you know um biospheres and like just Mm -hmm. her her science is like her world literally and she builds her world around that and she's Mm -hmm. it's interesting that it's easier for her to pick apart little um like microorganisms and like break into the science rather than actually trying to connect with people yeah and they, totally they a really big focal point of that with kind of the relationship between her and her husband and how they're supposed to complement each other where her husband is very social and very easy to talk to and she mm-hmm. has a lot more trouble but that's kind of why they work mm-hmm. from her perspective uh. Yeah, he he does like all the work in their relationship uh and like she that works for her because she doesn't like that's it's tough. It's I I don't know if it's necessarily tough. I can't remember exactly if she says like it's hard for her to connect or if she just doesn't like care to connect. I I don't remember specifically. Well, I actually have a passage from the book that I that I wanted to share. Oh, good. Um, yeah. It it also um has the only name that's ever given to us in the book, which is oh, okay. the nickname that her husband gives her, oh, uh, which is Ghostbird. Yeah. That's um, right, Ghostbird. Yeah, and so so I'll just read this passage. Ghostbird, do you love me? He whispered once in the dark before he left for his expedition training, even though he was the ghost. Ghostbird, do you need me? I loved him, but I didn't need him, and I thought that was the way it was supposed to be. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I've read the book and I'm like, oh my God, that is. Yeah. I, I, for, I forgot about it, but it's all coming back to me. That's incredible. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's what, you know, the thing that stood out the most to me was that her character in the book is so much uh, like richer, so much more vivid because we get to see, you know, she has this flaw as that she doesn't connect with people, but it's because she's actually just more interested in. You know, it starts off with the 
the ecosystem that grows in her pool, but she's more interested in that kind of stuff, like mm-hmm. like the animals that she can study. Yeah, and she's she has I I think it's it's Hawaii. I think she's doing like a study. She has like oh, a grant. I don't know if it. I don't know I if it, it is in Hawaii. Hawaii. It was it, it was an island though. I can't remember what island, but yeah, yeah, it's. She has a grant to like do this like research. Oh yeah, and yeah. She, it's on the like, western coast. So the western coast. Okay. Yeah, I think so, it's I think it's cold where where they are. Okay. Okay. It, yeah, and so she has this like grant and like to do this work, and then doesn't she like gets distracted? I mean, not distracted, but she like focuses on like other things that are more important to her about this place, and then they're like, "You're not doing what we gave you the money for." She yeah. loves doing that job because all she's doing is studying. Uh, she's studying a species of mussels found nowhere else except for yeah. in these tide pools. And she says that like she would be fine if she was like if they remembered her as the old lady who just is like she just talks. Oh, that here's a oh that's just the old biologist. She's been here for ages, going crazy studying those mussels. She talks to herself, mutters to herself at the bar, and if you say a kind word, dot dot dot. She like wants to be like she wants to be <laughs> the crazy biologist lady. Yeah. That's just all she cares about. Yeah, exactly. She's like a hermit. Yeah. Well, and that's actually a a beautiful segue. Thank you, BJ. I I was actually going to talk about just from the whole book standpoint, from the very beginning, you see that she's not really connecting with the people around here, even though technically they weren't supposed to connect. But even from a very like basic, do I care about the the person or the people that I'm with on this expedition? From the very get-go, she's much more interested when they get into Area X about what the terrain is like. There's a ton of descriptions on like the ecosystems that she sees, the terrain that they're seeing. And and she kind of starts building her own little like the, you know, the pool scene, the, the, the little ecosystem that's being built in the pool she starts to kind of notice all of those little nuances within area x and she's more hypersensitive about those things than maybe what they're supposed to be there for and she's not really connecting with anybody else and she's just really hyper focused on all these ecosystems that she's able to see when they go into area x which i thought was very interesting and, yeah. and that's like the reason she even goes into area x uh, right is that her her husband goes into Area X first. And I believe he is a, uh, I want to say, a, a paramedic uh, in yeah, the book. Yeah, so he was medical. Uh, or, what he is. or he's like a combat medic. Yeah. I, I don't remember specifically. Um, he's a medic of some kind. I don't remember if he was in the military first. But I think he's he had some history, but he volunteered. He went out of his way to join. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so he goes in the expedition before her, I believe, Expedition 11. Yeah. Um, right and then, her. and then she is kind of like interested in in that expedition, and then he comes back mysteriously. He like disappears for yeah. however long, and then he just like appears in their house, and then he like yeah. dies of cancer within like a few days. I, I think it's six months, and everyone months. from the expedition comes back, and the same thing. And they all die of cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but then she then hears about area x and like is fascinated with the idea of what it is that it's like this kind of pristine like the back of the book said pristine edenic environment and to her she's like oh my god that sounds fascinating and so she goes on the expedition literally literally just to see the plants and the animals and the 
like the yeah uh, to see what happened the ecosystem ecology? of this area not for whatever reason it ecology is that the study of of ecosystems yeah um yeah and so she you know the, the southern reach which is the agency that sends them all in or the the government clandestine agency i don't know but that sends them all in like they have a goal and she's like i don't care about that goal i'm, I'm just here to even uh, herself we'll get yeah. some plants like, <laughs> yeah, like from the very beginning she doesn't care about the ultimate goal of every everyone else mm-hmm. yeah she's in it for the discovery mm-hmm. uh, um, which that actually leads me into another section i wanted to talk about you know bj you were just mentioning before that the the, the very first line of the book is the tower yeah. and I want. I want to talk about that. There's so many things that are. It's oh just my God, a Weird yeah. concept. Yeah. So first off, there's you know they they come they find this tower, but then right out the gate, there's a debate between all of them about whether it's a tower or a tunnel. Yeah, and she is the one who like feels that it is a tower. <laughs> right, right, and it's amazing because. The, you know, these are very, very different words. You would never associate a tower and a tunnel to be the same thing because right. for obvious reasons, they're not really the same in the English language. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting that they, the way that she describes, like you were saying, BJ, that it feels like a tower. Not it looks like one. Not it, Well, it is a tower because it's a tower. It feels like a tower. And then everybody else is saying it's a tunnel. Um, and the reasoning is, you know, it's suppo- I, I, in my mind, it's, you know, this kind of like structure, a building with a door. But the stairs go down as opposed uh-huh. to up. And yet there's still this very strong sense to the biologist that it's a tower for some reason. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on why you think that was such an important distinction to make in the book. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll even ask you another question. Do you think that the biologist was chosen by Area X before she came in? Ooh, that's a good thought. I don't, I have not thought about that. Because why would she <laughs> even like react that way in the first place? She even says um, that that is, she remembers that that is her first irrational thought in mm-hmm. Area X, that she views it as a tower. And she's like, I recognize that this is my first irrational thought. Um, right. Yeah, because that's before they even go into the tower. Yeah, and and as we all crazy. know, when she gets in there, she breathes in the the spores. Uh-huh. Um, but was she quote unquote infected before she even got in there? That's what I wonder because they they do talk about in that first section of the book that you know it. I think they have like memory lapse and time doesn't run the uh-huh. same and there's like a lot of kind of weird kind of supernaturally things that are happening even though they've you know nothing technically has happened to them yet but they they discuss almost immediately that you know like we've we've been in here but we don't remember how long we've been in here but they are supposed to have an allotted amount of time because they have only a certain amount of supplies but then like time is getting away from them yeah yeah and they haven't encountered really anything yet. They're just in Area X. And yeah, they're just so, hiking at the beginning. Exactly. And so then when you know when they finally come upon the tower slash tunnel and they decide to go in, um, it, it is pretty incredible because we're already starting to see that you know potential break of psychosis where the biologist yeah. is you know feeling kind of a weird euphoric sense and it's a strong feeling about a tower and they go down and there's you know the the wall has the writing with like the 
I don't even know mm-hmm. how they describe yeah. it, where it's like writing on the wall, but it looks like it's alive. Like something is actively it's writing moving, it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like moving. written in plants. Right. And you, so there's like, like smudges beneath it. Like, of, yeah, it's been written over and over again. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, it was very interesting. And then, you know, that that she leans in and gets the spores in her in her nose. And then that's kind of the first interaction that you you see in the book that, ooh, they just had a, a, a connection of some sort that could potentially be very bad. <laughs> yeah. She knows it, too. She she's yeah. even saying, like, well, that was a mistake. I <laughs> I know that I should have been wearing a mask. Right, yeah, yeah, right, and then so she doesn't funny. say anything to her her yeah, team because she's like, right. "Well, they're gonna know that I'm compromised, and yeah. I want to keep studying myself because now I'm a petri dish, and this yeah. is gonna be interesting." I mean, she even even when she knows she's compromised, she's like, "This is science. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this and see what's happening to me." Yeah, mm-hmm. and because right after she gets um uh infected or or whatever, that's not really the right word because, but I guess it kind of is. It kind um, of is. She goes back up. To the bottom of the tower <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. all of the like everyone's out there and the psychologist hypnotizes them because they're all they're all hypnotized but the psychologist uses you know one of the command words or whatever and it doesn't work on her like yeah. immediately she's not under the suggestion of hypnosis anymore but she pretends that she is right yeah right and that's the first time you really notice that she's already started to change and that was almost mm-hmm. like an immediate response yeah exactly and it it definitely and and of course it serves a, a great way to sort of show that there's something else that the psychologist is in on that the rest of them aren't in on right she's got her own yeah. agenda oh yeah she does mm-hmm. oh also i've read all three books so i'm going to try not to say <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's the thing is there is a lot more that we haven't taken on. I haven't read. So I'm sure there's some kind of peekaboos in there. Oh, yeah. Come back later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that um, I probably should have started with this topic, but we'll we'll just jump right in. Something that I thought was incredible was the way that the book is broken down into five sections. And yes, each of those sections, it's 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 the titling is kind of the theme of that section. So the the sections are initiation, integration, immolation, immersion and dissolution. So interesting, because why would immolation be before? What was the, the it's one immersion. After? Immersion. Yeah. 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 So interesting. It's incredible to me because the the section where she gets the spores into her nose is the integration section. Uh-huh. Which is beautifully done. It's beautifully oh, yeah. done. You know, initiation is the very beginning where they're dropped into Area X and they're discovering the terrain. They find the tower slash tunnel. And um, she starts kind of seeing the hypnosis effect come into play. And then the integration is, you know, she gets infected by the spores and then they start to really dig deep on all of the different sensory, Uh like, like, I don't even know how to describe it, where her sensory, like is on overload essentially where she starts to see things differently and starts to hear things differently it starts to become more of a euphoric state and then you know by the time you get to the immolation section which is just such an insane title and i love i think this is probably my favorite section of the book yeah what a crazy word to use right and the lighthouse section is that immolation Yes, which okay. is where she yeah. discovers the lighthouse and the immolation section is, you know, a lot of reference to brightness 
in the biologist. Yeah, and, and that's what she calls it. She calls it the yes. brightness. Yeah. yeah. So very heightened sense of awareness and a lot of like her actual like visuals that she's seeing things like when they go back into the tower and they go further and um, find the anthropologist is dead. Uh um, Uh, Yeah, I think it's the anthropologist is dead. Yeah, the anthropologist is dead at the bottom. She's like, everything's throbbing and it's glowing. Uh Uh And she starts like the walls are like breathing. 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 Yeah. Right, that's right. And then she like starts to hear this noise, like this cacophonous noise that she can hear, but the um, surveyor can't hear it. But the surveyor can't hear it. And and so this Uh. is like leading up to the immolation section. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you get to the lighthouse, it yeah. just goes gets even crazier somehow. And, and I think <laughs> I think she actually she actually glows. Uh-huh. Uh, right, right. At the she end of to... that section, she literally is like a nightlight. Yeah, and I I think that that's such an incredible plot device to have each section of the book mm-hmm. basically give you kind of a glimpse of what's to come, um, and just to give a yeah. theme for each section, which is it's it's almost like a screenplay. And the, and the way that the book is written, Daniel, you were mentioning is, you know, it's um, it's it sounds like a diary, essentially, yeah. from the way because that it she, really is. It, is. Yeah, it uh, actually literally is. It's her it's their field notebooks. Mm-hmm. And it's and we are just like reading her field. Yeah. Notebook. Yeah. Because I think all of it is it's in it's in first person past tense. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're you're reading this after the fact. After she has written it down in her field yeah. journal. And there are times when she's like, you know, maybe I should have told you this before, but, and then she yeah. like, will explain some things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is kind of like a, like, who's she talking to? Like, like she's talking to us, but at the same time, it's like, who is she writing this for? Right. She's writing it for herself slash whoever's going to yeah, read it. Yeah. And I think they're like, they are, one of their imperatives is that they have to write in these yes, notebooks and they're, they're not supposed to share it with other people either. They're right? cre- told to write everything down and yeah. then not, yeah, not share it. That's right. Yeah, so so she kind of is writing and doesn't even really necessarily know why. And, you know, this is making me... I, I remember uh, later on in the book, she finds a bunch of notebooks, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um and one of them uh, is, like, talking about, like, the thistles or whatever. It's, like, whoever wrote it was, like, getting way obsessed with this specific thistle. And she describes how, like, she's reading the notebook, but she became aware that even though they're talking about the thistle, something is, like, entering into their mind. And they're trying to they're trying to write out what's happening to them without acknowledging, you know, how Area X is affecting them. And that's uh-huh. why, like, they're focusing on this thistle, but they're really talking about something else uh-huh. um, somehow. Now I want to go back and read it and see if her journal, which is what we read, is doing the same thing. Like, is she, is there, like, a second story hidden in this book that, like, something that she's not, specifically not trying to tell us? Oh, yeah. yeah that's a good point. Yeah, I I don't know. I haven't read it back through, but I thought that was interesting that like this book that we hold is literally from her world. Yeah. You know, that's the idea. It is. Yeah. We have somehow found the journal of of someone who went into Area X and are Mm -hmm. reading it, just like she found the journal of someone who went into Area X before her. You know, after she finds the journals, you know, you you start 
you start to see all this kind of stuff unravel where they were told that there were only what, you know, a, they were the 12th were 12, mission, yeah. right? They, they, there was only 12. And then she finds hundreds. Yeah, yeah like a literal like, pile. Hundreds. Like, like maybe on it. thousands of journals. Yeah. yeah. And, she and finds she, so many. And, she, you know, she said that some of them at towards the bottom which are the older ones have looked like they have been there for quite some yeah, time. Like they yeah. like rotted because they've just been sitting at the bottom of this pile for so long. Right. And so that kind of disarray of just books and books and books. And mm-hmm. it's totally. and you can tell that they had multiple different types of people who had come in because there, you know, there was the one the one uh, journal about just focusing on plant life, the thistles. And then there was another one where it was just like a suicide letter. And like, they have all of these different backgrounds of people that have been through area X. So right up, right from then on, you're like, okay, well, obviously they are not telling them everything. Yeah. Yeah. They've been misled. Right. And you already saw a similar kind of thread with the psychiatrist, um, or the psychologist, excuse me. Um, about how she seems to have her own agenda and has, you know, uh, trigger words to put the other three into some sort of state of hypnosis and agreement. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of like who's on whose team and the right. military is in it for themselves, but they're sending all these people in and not telling them the full story. And uh-huh. um, it's very interesting. So good. Yeah, I think actually the with the psychologist, I think she hypnotized them when they came in. I think she know that they are hypnotized. They they submit to it because it's I think they say this in the first one. It's it's the best way to get them across the border is hypnotized. Yeah. And and but then later when she after she breathes the spores in and the psychologist uh, uses a trigger word and the other two become agreeable and she the biologist pretends to become agreeable that's of course when we find out maybe there's something more to it and then even little literally i think like the scene or two after that the psychologist uh in the middle of the night hypnotizes the hypnotizes the anthropologist to go down into the tower or Mm -hmm. tunnel um where she where she dies because she forces her to interact with this slime monster blob blob, whatever you want to call it yeah that's the cruel and and that's what we find out is what's writing i think earlier on they they sort of peek around a corner and they see it writing right and then they run is that what happens they find the anthropologist's body, which is just literally like a goo ball, just sitting yeah, in the middle like, of the steps. Yeah, she's like crouched. Steps. It's yeah. like crouched in the middle of the steps, and then they uh-huh. see they see a a blob that's kind of trailing down the stairs and writing right. something. So like the the words on the wall are becoming less and less plant like and more just like mm-hmm. a phosphorescent goo. Uh, they're glow. They're fresher. Yeah. And the, yeah, and the psychologist just, like, up and leaves, like, after she literally gets the anthropologist killed, and then she up and leaves the biologist and the surveyor. Yeah, Yeah. and I think at this point, we don't know that the psychologist is the one who spurred the anthropologist on. That's right. I think we learned that later. The biologist assumes, though, she's like, well, I don't know why else she would have been down here. Right, right. And the surveyor is, is very... And she she tries to use. Oh, that's right. The biologist tries to use her trigger word on her. Like I, I'm trying to that's remember this. Right. The surveyor reacts to it as if it should work, but then it mm-hmm. doesn't work, and then the surveyor gets really like suspicious. paranoid. 
Yeah. yeah. No, and that's something that was interesting is, you know, the the paranoia that they start to put on the mm-hmm. surveyor. It's it's very interesting to see because it, like with the with the biologist, you know, she interacts with the spore so you know right off the bat something is going to happen because she's been compromised. But with everybody else, there's no it's all coming from the biologist, so there's no background on if something similar has happened to the rest of her team, but you can oh, start yeah. to see that the surveyor starts to get really paranoid and is convinced that, um, you know, when when the anthropologist goes missing, they find the body, they're trying to figure out what happened to her, and then the psychologist goes missing, she immediately starts thinking that the biologist killed them both. And yeah. it's it you start to see that kind of break with her. Whereas, you know, even from the very beginning, she kept trying to say, we should just go back. And they and they're like, no, we still got more work to do. And she's like, we should just go back. And then she ends up staying. And then you see just she she didn't really want to be there from the beginning. Yeah. So the linguist uh, doesn't make it out or doesn't make it into the area. X. And then when they're in the tower, uh, I think for the first or second time, I don't remember. But the biologist like even says something like uh, when they're looking at the words written on the wall, she even says like, Oh, I wish I wish the linguist were here so that she could, you know, read these words for us, which like sort of even shows more that uh, she only really cares about like learning about this situation. Like not that the fact that maybe the linguist was the smart one and never made it in, unlike the rest of them. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because the words on the wall, they sound like religious passages. They're, uh-huh. all, they're all in English. Like you can they they can read them, but they don't make any sense. And yeah. so they're they're trying to figure out, are these Bible quotes? Like, is this from some mm-hmm. sort of religious doc, like documentation that they don't know about? And that, that's where they're kind of saying, man, I wish we had a linguist I right wish now. We had the linguist, yeah. I have more background on what this means, because it doesn't really it's just like this absurdly long, unbroken thought. And it sounds yeah. very religious in context, but there's no yeah. background on it. Yeah, I actually have it here. Um, I can I can read the, the beginning of it. It says it's long. Yeah, yeah. But this is just like this is like the thing that they repeat over and over again. They say, where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner? I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of their lives. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's almost nonsense. Yeah. And it and and I think that was something that was interesting is, you know, the biologist even asked is like, is whatever or whoever is writing this, do they even know what they're writing? Yeah. Because it doesn't sound sensible. It sounds like they're just, it's like some, it, it, yeah, it's like something is telling them mm-hmm. and they're just transcribing it. Right. Onto the wall. And they may not understand what they're writing or they're trying to. Yeah. Well, I guess let's talk about the slime monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The crawler. The crawler, right. The crawler. Um, so the crawler is the lighthouse keeper. It I sure think so. is. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. So they reveal that she sees a picture of the lighthouse keeper um, when she's at the lighthouse. I wonder, does she see? Do you guys remember? Does she see a picture of him with another person and a little girl? I think so. She finds a picture of the lighthouse keeper. Yeah, she at least somebody. finds. Yeah, because I think that picture that picture is important in the second book. Um, and I think it's introduced in this first book. Um, I, I and think his so face is circled, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least it is in the second book. Anyway, uh, so she does know what he looks like. And then at the very end, she has gone past the crawler. The crawler touched her. And, and that's like the 
the trippy sequence of the book like yeah where like, she can't it, breathe and like yeah, it, yeah. and it explains like it describes it as like hands going down her throat or something like mm-hmm. it was a really weird it's it's it was so hard to wrap your mind around like trying to imagine what what he's saying is happening right um but then she lives and she's fine and she Magically. like yeah right yeah. um like, let's or go. is she or yeah. does it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and she keeps going down the or up the tower um and she at the at the bottom she finds the door and mm-hmm. she decides, she sits in front of it and decides not to go out the door. Then when she's walking back up, she looks back at the crawler and sees the lighthouse keeper's face in the, in right. the body. That's right. Weird yeah. thing that has like some human thing. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think it has stuff like floating around it too. Yeah. It's it like, was like yeah. body parts were floating kind of in between Ooh. this goo and it, and you can see the face that she yeah. recognized from the from the photo mm-hmm. um so he you know she assumes that he was the first to be affected fully affected by area x yeah yeah does it all oh <laughs> does it all in in the book does it all uh spread out from the lighthouse is that the the epicenter in the book yeah it, it all started at the lighthouse and it just kept expanding so that was like the epicenter of all of this it all started at the lighthouse but they say the lighthouse is like miles away Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's expanded. It it is expanding in the book. Yeah. I, it is expanding in the book. She says that it's expanding northward. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. Which I just I didn't remember that. I saw that in a in a some in a synop or like whatever a recap of it. Uh-huh. Um. So I don't really remember that moment exactly where they like define what the epicenter because. Later on, the center is the is pretty much the tower, but it is I I think I don't know I don't remember I don't remember this part in the third book they kind of describe this more. Mm, okay. Oh, oh, it's just the, everything about this book. It's just so beautifully orchestrated, and it describes things in such a it's descriptive, but at the same time, like you were saying, BJ, I can't wrap my head around what that must actually look like. Uh, yeah yeah which is wonderful and horrible because like i want to see this i want to actually see yes. like how this how like the author would have envisioned it if it was on paper or on a screen yeah um, which actually transitions me perfectly into let's actually we could go on and on about the book and all oh, the yeah. totally. loops and turns of the book but let's actually transfer over now to the adaptation which is the film so daniel if you want to give us a quick synopsis of the film then then we'll get started yeah, I'll read a uh, synopsis I found on Google. Um, so the synopsis is, Lena, a biologist and former soldier, joins a mission to uncover what happened to her husband inside Area X, a sinister and mysterious phenomenon that is expanding across the American coastline. Once inside, the expedition discovers a world of mutated landscapes and creatures as dangerous as it is beautiful that threatens both their lives and their sanity. Wow. So right off the bat, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> like feel. A name. That's the first word is her name. Yeah. yeah. Right. So now we've got a name and we found out that she is in a military background, which I don't think they cover in the book. I don't think. No, she's I don't military. think she has one. Yeah. Um, she's just a biologist in the, yeah. in the book. Yeah. Just, but she is only a biologist in the book. Right. <laughs> just a biologist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So with with the um, movie, I, I'll ask the same question that I kind of started the last section with is what what stood out to you guys? What did you notice about the film that was interesting? Yeah, and I am also trying to speak from my experience the first time I saw it. So like before mm. I really had like looked into anything else because that's that's how I saw it the first time. The first thing that I was waiting for, because I saw the trailer first, obviously, is that sound. The sound that they play in the trailer, they play that sound when they show the wall. Um, that like weird, very mechanical um, sound. Yes. Um, that I, I don't know what it is, but it was like I was so excited for that sound. So that that was the first thing that I was like knowing was on the way. Man, what a great sound! But in the in the movie, the as we go on, the VFX is like the obviously their favorite part, like all the different little graphics that they've put in there. Um, that's I'm guessing where their budget went. Oh, yeah. Uh, phenomenal. And I think that ultimately is probably what what I remember back on is just like the feeling of that. It's because it's not music, but it is music in a way. I mean, like like melodic yeah it's the soundtrack uh and it's just so unique um, you know yeah that sound um reminds me of close encounters of the third kind where they oh the ship yeah comes down and they play that music back and forth uh-huh. um that's what it yeah that's what it reminded me of yeah oh, you're right uh, yeah i, I that makes yeah i've never really thought about that yeah because especially once we encounter that sound in the movie because obviously i'm sitting there like waiting the whole time like when is there when are they gonna play it it's at the very end (laughs) and it's at the very end and it comes it the way they show that sound obviously don't show it but the way it comes about in the story it seems as if the entity itself is making that sound yeah i wondered if it was if it was a it's diegetic right is sound that Ooh. happens in the movie that that the characters can hear i think i don't know no- but that's a great word well let's say it is diegetic. diegetic sound i think is 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 things characters can hear like in the beginning of the movie when they're playing that song and it's really loud oh yeah uh-huh. um it's that would be it's both diegetic and non-diegetic in that when it's playing it super loud it's for the audience but then it transitions to uh kane her husband uh being downstairs and this you could still hear the song sort of like quietly so obviously she's like blasting it in her she can hear the song as well so it is it is diegetic i think that makes it diegetic i think non-diegetic is only music that the audience can hear or sounds the audience can hear yeah and i i just googled it you're right it is diegetic (laughs) oh yeah yeah so it's part of the soundtrack but it also is interlaid within the story itself at the same time yeah Yeah. okay Yeah, so that sound, I agree with you. I think she can also hear that sound. Um, In that moment where she's down there. Where she's down there at the end. Yeah. And I I would like to think, yes, she can, because uh, the book, I hesitate to mention the book in this part, but the that similar scene in the book is she talks about having a, an assault on all of her. Yeah, that's um, a good point. And so this would be the point in the movie that would be most similar to that point in the book. So, so to me, it would make the most sense that she could hear that sound and she looks in, entranced by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
in the movie. Yeah, and they don't really ever address, obviously, that entire scene you're talking about. There's no talking. So there's right. no way for the, the audience to really know if, like, is she hearing this? Are we just mm-hmm. hearing this? Like, yeah. but, the, but the movements and the kind of atmosphere that they've created in that scene mm-hmm. kind of makes you think that either on a like a, like a psychic level or if it's actually physically making that sound, it's definitely something that that um, Natalie Portman's character is feeling, if not hearing. Oh, um, yes, yes, yeah. Which is very, very spooky and very cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting if if she's not even really hearing that. Like, there is no sound. It's completely right. quiet. Like, it's if someone else was standing it. there, it would be yeah. completely silent. But mm-hmm. in her head, she hears this overwhelming yeah, she, like, she can't even think. It's just that sound playing in her mm-hmm. head. Yeah. One time I got the uh, the theme song to <laughs> um, Handmaid's Tale stuck oh. in my head, which if you remember that theme song, it's not even a song. It's just no. like, <laughs> it's just like yeah. sounds. It's noises, uh, like, yeah. Yeah, it just played over and over in my head for an entire Ooh. day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, I think that's what's so beautiful about the, the movie is like the soundtrack is phenomenal and it, yeah. I wouldn't even call it. It's like, it's not even technically musical. It's, it's, it's almost a mechanical sound and it's, it's so yeah. unique and hard to describe because it, it's meant to be background noise and the soundtrack yeah. all at the same time. And it, they did a fantastic job. Oh yeah, yeah. They did a wonderful job. And it's like, obviously it's like super, you know, super synth heavy very simple because you know how else do you really create that sound uh because there's like actual songs that are in the movie Uh specifically that one song i i mean i want to say simon and garfunkel but i honestly yeah it sounds like that i honestly don't know if that's who sings it um Uh and that's pretty much the only like music music there's like oh yeah most of it i think is just kind of um like a soundscape creepy yeah creepy sounds the opening shot of that movie is uh-huh. her being interrogated i think right yeah. yes she's in the in the room with the yeah guy in so the she's already suit. yeah she's already come back and they're like asking her questions mm-hmm. that's like the the framing device is that she's being interviewed after all this happened it's it's kind of it kind of makes it have a similar feel where she this yeah. whole movie is her is technically her telling it. Yeah, um, or not technically. This whole movie is her telling it, um, and we we see, of course see it in in first person or, or real time uh, right. in our perspective because we're watching it as it as it happened. But but in the story in the plot, she is telling the story after it has. And already so, happened. do you think that she could be as unreliable a narrator as she probably is in the book? I think so. I but I don't know if they go into that, but I think that actually is an interesting thought. Yeah, like I wonder if parts of the movie like that's actually not how it happened. Uh-huh. She's just telling them that. Remembering or her remembering incorrectly or she's or lying. she's lying. Or she's lying yeah. to them, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thought because there is again, you know, like with the book, the movie also shows a lot of um kind of reality unraveling and crazy things are happening mm-hmm. that they can't explain. And it's, it's hard to tell, is this happening or is this in my head? Right. Um, but there is a lot of discussion of that as well. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, um, I wanted to touch on the, the VFX 
Uh, mm, yeah. Because I think that those go hand in hand, especially in that final scene. I the effects of that like light fractals. What what was it you were calling it, BJ? It has a name. It's from the Mandelbrot set, I think is what it's called. Or Mandelbrot. But but you if you Google Mandel bulb, um, which is a 3D representation of this like it's a fractal that comes from some math equation, um, Mandelbrot or whatever. And then if you Google Mandelbulb, that is a 3D fractal from that equation. And uh-huh. it looks exactly like the entity. Mm-hmm. Before before it transforms. Yeah, well, I guess that is the question. Is that silver uh, body, is that the thing? I guess my understanding is no. Uh, that it it is like everything. Area X is all one thing. Yeah, I think so too. It's just another part of it's the just thing. Replicating. Yeah, yeah. Just like the minute they enter Area X, they are now part of Area X. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the second shot of the movie is is the comet <laughs> or, or the, the meteor right. crashing the meteor. into the lighthouse. Like clearly aliens. This is aliens, guys. This is aliens. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. they're really gung ho about talking about it being aliens, which is never referenced in in the book. Yeah, I I think yeah, the way they they talk about it in the book is saying like we don't know what it is. It could be right. They have no idea. It could be anything. Yeah, and even they explain it in the third one, and even then, it's like they still don't say what what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a, a good transition then. Let's let's actually break down uh, what let's compare the the book and the the movie because this is kind of we're getting into that territory where um, obviously That's the book hard and the movie are completely <laughs> yeah. different. So yeah. <laughs> what what let's start off with what um, I know BJ you have a lot of uh, uh, feelings about I, I sure have some strong opinions, um, uh, mostly about the character of the biologist slash yeah. Lena. And I, the character of the biologist, actually, let's start over, because I, I saw the movie first. So yeah. I was introduced to Lena first. So that's how I knew her. And I didn't have anything necessarily wrong with her watching the movie. Although I will say, even watching the movie, knowing nothing, the scenes where she is having an affair as her flashbacks even then had kind of like stuck out to me as like almost unnecessary, you know, like, why has it got to be like this? Um, right. And then in the book, they do such a good job of defining her as a character with her own interests and her own goals. And what, what really got me going crazy after reading the book was that they have flashback scenes in the book, except it's about, her her as her own character at, at these tide pools and like and her past looking at the pool in her backyard that explain what why she is the way she is right whereas these flashbacks are a way to explain why she's guilty or why she feels bad one of the things i said is that i don't know if i exactly believe this but it feels this way is that they Whoever came up with that didn't know how to handle a a female character without uh, setting her up to be like, well, if we don't like her, we have to make her seem, you know, that, you know, she's done something wrong. And how do right. we do that? Well, of course, she's cheating on her husband. Like, right. why right. does that have to be part of it at all? 
Very linear. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, and it's like so shallow, so surface level. Um, especially that from that passage that I had read, like she, her husband recognizes that she is distant, and like that's part of why he yeah. likes her. Um, I, I have another passage that is. Um, uh, so she's talking about her relationship with her husband and she Mm -hmm. says if we went to bars with his friends one of his favorite things to do i would volunteer only what a prisoner might during an interrogation oh like what a way to describe being out with your husband's friends yeah Yeah, seriously (laughs) and like i feel like her character in the movie becomes so she loses so much agency because also at the in the first uh quarter it seems she's just shuttled from plot point to plot point like she doesn't want to be an area x she doesn't want any of this stuff it's just that they're the characters take her from one place to another and introduce her to all these physically take her from one place to another yeah really that's a really good point because in in the book you know when the husband comes back she is the one that calls the military to take him away yeah yeah whereas in the movie she, she her husband's back she's so happy and then the then he starts to have blood come out of his nose and she's like oh crap we got to take you to the hospital and uh-huh. then in tr- in transit to the hospital they get bombarded by the by secret service or whatever and then they yeah. get taken to a facility so there's uh-huh. you're right there is no sense yeah. of urgency like any sort of urgency with her character because she's literally like well this happened to you, and now we're gonna happen like make this happen to you again. And yeah. then they force her to go into Area X, whereas you know in the book, six months later, after her husband has died, she volunteers to go. Yeah, yeah, she volunteers because this sounds interesting to her. Right. right. And in the movie, yeah. in the movie, she technically volunteers to go into Area X, uh, although they call it the Shimmer. Uh, yeah. yeah, that. They, yeah, they, so she volunteers to go into Area X. So they, they, they more or less kidnap her and then interrogate her and about her husband. Uh-huh. Where is mm-hmm. he? Why is, why is he come back? She's like, I don't know. He didn't tell me anything. And then she, it's sort of implied that she's like sort of let to roam for a little bit. Um, and then she decides to go into Area X to find out what happened to her husband. Which yeah, yeah, at least exactly. there's some agency in that, but mm-hmm. it's still because of her husband. In the book, exactly, she doesn't care, it, or not that she doesn't care, but she cares first and foremost about her interest, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what drives her to go into Area X is her interest. Yeah. yeah. And then while she's in Area X, she finds some stuff about her husband, and she is interested in that because, like she said, she loves her husband, but yeah, he I'm just is, gonna say. she doesn't need him. Uh-huh. In order to be a, a human, a, a, a functioning human being, yeah. she, she has her interests, and then she also loves her husband. Uh, and I agree with you, BJ. I think, you know, it, it, it makes her unlikable in the book, in only in the sense that it's kind of hard. That's not really how the rest of us kind of think it should be. Uh, yeah, she's uh, just kind of a harsh personality. Yeah, she's not a bad person. She's just kind of, you know, unapproachable. Yeah, antisocial. Antisocial, and in the movie, she is. They are like, uh, she's she's just a bad person, and maybe it's because they cast Natalie Portman. Uh, just because you know we've seen her in a bunch of stuff where she's a nice person. She has a persona of being a nice person, and so moviegoers kind of maybe they were like, we have to we have to really hammer home 
Right. But, yeah. but I agree. They did it terribly. I think it, it such a cheap way to to make a character unlikable. Yes, yeah, such a ham-fisted way yeah. to show her. Like, she's she's done wrong, too, you know. She's cheated on her husband. Exactly, exactly. And that's like, oh, she's bad now. Yeah, and then, you know, they, they really drive that home, too, that she has a lot of guilt associated with that because um, the this, this psychologist is the only one who knows that her husband was on the previous expedition, and she's like, we're just not going to say anything. We're not going right. to tell anybody. And then, you know, it comes out as you know right. plot plot devices do uh-huh. and and then they freak out and they're like how could you not tell us and then right. you know, yeah. which they they the um the e- well in the in the movie it's the EMT which is uh-huh. Gina Rodriguez's character uh-huh. um and she starts to just lose it because she yeah. i think that they've already kind of shown that stability is not really there anymore with any of the characters and she's really starting to lose it on top of like yeah. you betrayed us and you're a horrible person and how do i know that you're not in on all this and so mm-hmm. there it it was unfortunate because i i agree i think that they painted a very different picture for the character in the movie yeah. than the the book gave it so much more depth and so much more interesting plot devices because of how her personality is described. Right. Um, but the movie, yeah, it was a very stereotypical, like, well, she's a woman who's done wrong, but she's going to redeem herself, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and and for the, uh, as the EMT paramedic, uh, I don't remember, I think paramedic maybe, I, I know there's a difference, don't particularly remember which one she is. In in the book, the surveyor has a very similar role that the that the EMT has in the movie, in that yes. they both confront the biologist towards the end of the movie, um, and both die. Um, now yeah. in the book, the biologist kills the surveyor. Sniped her. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually amazing. Where, yeah, she she it, she's coming back from the lighthouse. The surveyor starts shooting at her because she's literally glowing in the dark. Um, and so she's like, something's wrong with her. And so, so the surveyor shoots her. And then she's down in the grass. And then the surveyor's looking around for her, can't find her. And the biologist like aims her pistol perfectly at where the surveyor is. And she describes it as, it's not that I could see and knew where the surveyor was, but I could feel her very presence, feel her moving through the air. She, she just knew where she was and she shot and kills her in one hit without really right. even seeing her with her, you know, with her eyes. Yeah. Um, and in the movie. That scene the, was crazy in the movie, though. I will say. Yeah, the reasoning for the paramedic going kind of crazy in the or seemingly crazy in the uh, movie feels a little less. It, it, it feels like it doesn't make as much sense to me, like. She finds the locket with her hus with the biologist's husband face in it, and they had previously seen that video of right. of the previous team cutting open one of their men's stomachs and and revealing that he had like snake intestine situation going on. Uh, whatever that was. Then she she you know goes crazy. In the book, she literally sees that she's transforming into something, like the crawler almost. She like glows like it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the in the book it felt her her lashing out felt less crazy and more justified and in the movie it did feel a little bit more crazy and less justified because like the reasoning behind her being not telling people it's like it's it's not really that important it doesn't matter they all have their own reasons 
coming to Area X. Uh, and her reason is because her husband was in the previous one, and she wants to know why. And I actually don't know about that. I feel like if I was going into a situation that was, like, super dangerous, and one of my teammates was here for, like, a deeply emotional, personal reason, it's like, well, I don't know if I can trust you, like, in a certain moment, because you're the reason why you're here might be counteractive to the reason that we're here, you know, like, you know, obviously we can sit on the outside and know that that's not necessarily the case, but in that moment, having someone who is like compromised in that way, you Mm -hmm. know, this is a military excursion, you know, and like, you know, (laughs) this has to be the top of professionalism. Right. And it's a little bit impossible to be professional when you're like, trying to figure out what happened to your to your sick and he's not dead in the movie he's like yeah sick. he doesn't die yeah. yeah and so like it's important for her that she figure out what's going on to him and like yeah i mean like i think that the uh, paramedic is she's the most sane one of the group but because everyone else is going insane the movie is like depicting her as like this really extreme personality and reactions to all the stuff that's like yeah that's how you should be reacting right yeah that's true where all of this is from the biologist's point of view in in the movie as well and so maybe the biologist looks calm and collected and everyone else looks crazy like the paramedic looks insane to the biologist because the biologist because it's all from her point of view so actually i i kind of agree with you on that yeah, just that, like, keeping a secret like that is a problem. And then, yes. you know, yeah. we're in a, you know, but that, another thing about that scene, though, is that she says, oh, you know, it was a bear, but actually, I didn't see a bear. Lena said it was a bear. And then, yeah. oh, the, uh, whatever she, the, um, oh, her name is Cass, the geologist who gets killed by the bear. By I was the like, bear, yeah. oh, Cass is dead, but actually, I didn't see it. Only Lena did. And, like, We didn't see the scene where Lena says that it's a bear. Like, and also they were all out there. I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it was just Cass that went out. And it was the the psychologist and Lena. That were the closest. So the psychologist might have seen it. Yeah. So that one's founded, but we don't see her say that it's a bear. Um, And then we, you know, when it, when we get to the part where Lena goes and finds Cass dead, um, they decide not to go with her. Or she tells them to stay. She tells and them she, right. not to come with her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Which I is mean, super is, suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, why would you tell us that? And then also it turns out that your husband was the guy that we saw in the camera cut a guy up. So what's yeah. up with that? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It, so, yeah, the the bear is in that scene. And I oh, think yeah. bear, bear is, man, I was saying earlier, it's like the best monster from 2018, which I don't really remember any other monsters, but um, (laughs) but exactly. I don't remember any other ones. It's not that scene isn't in the book at all that Mm -mm -mm. way. No, Um, there is a bear in the in the there is a moaning monster. There is a moaning monster. monster. Right. And you never see it in the first book. Uh huh. Although it does chase her and she finds um, a, a face that's like shed it's like the mm-hmm. husk of a face right that's right mm-hmm. in the in and the swamp in the swamp right. yeah and she sees she sees that while she's coming back from the lighthouse after i think she it's just after revealed... she killed the surveyor 
No, it's, it's on her way back. Before. Yep. It's before she kills the surveyor. She's coming yep. back from the lighthouse and That's she right. has to go through the weeds and she went she she waited too long at the lighthouse and so it starts to get dark it's and that's when the monster comes out is at night. That's right. Yeah. Um but yeah, the bear in the movie is I mean, oh, I think that's hands down so one of good. my favorite parts of the movie, actually, which I, I love yeah. because they didn't really have anything to base it off of. They did all of this out of yeah. just kind of contextual stuff from the book and just like went nuts with it. And they did such a good job. Yeah, it totally. Really and like it's a bear that absorbs, that can absorb things, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, right. or like yeah. it at least absorbs her throat. Because we see when we see Cass's body, it's her throat that's it's cut yeah. apart. The yeah. rest of yeah. her is pretty much untouched. Uh-huh. Um, it's just her throat that's gone. Yeah. Well, and they they have you know up to this point of the movie, they've done a lot of discussion of like finding flora and fauna that are like hybrided into other yeah. animals. You know, they find that big crocodile that's got shark's teeth and it's, yeah. you know, they see all these plants that are like growing from the same vine, but they're completely different species and it shouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. So they've been talking a lot about weird genetic crossover that should not uh, be mm-hmm. physically possible in this kind of, you know, in the, the ecosystems that we know today. Yeah. Um, and the bear is is incredible because it's got you know, the bear features, but then it's also mm-hmm. like skeletal. And then it's mm-hmm. it, when it roars, it's not a bear roar. It's, you know, Cass's voice screaming help, which yeah, is what she what was she screaming was, when yeah. she died. Yeah. And, and it's it, like, insane. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. But, you know, this is also a point that a point of contention I have with the movie, because they define what's happening as the shimmer refracts everything including dna so that's what's like happening is that everything's blending together because the shimmer is refracting it yeah which is like you know i i that part is fine but this moment with the bear happens in a copy of lena's house but from like the 70s like yeah the the same shot that intros that house is the the same shot we see yes the stairs and that shot with lena looking up the stairs is the same shot that we see when her husband gets there and looks up the stairs and is listening to to her painting the room. Yeah, painting, yeah. Yeah, and they don't talk about it at all. They don't mention it. It never becomes a thing. And like, yeah, like what the, so the shimmer refracted DNA so hard that it made a house. That doesn't make (laughs) any sense. And they they feel like they have to handhold us the entire time and explain everything. But then they get to the end they don't explain anything, and it breaks the logic of everything they've set up before. Like, Kane, they have the the camera, which is the plot device of the notebooks in the, yeah. in the book. And when I saw it, I was even like, why didn't they have more cameras? Like, finding cameras throughout the whole movie and Literally seeing their everywhere. progression. Yeah, and but they only do it twice. And then that second time, Kane is speaking with a southern accent that is, like, never... It's never described who has the southern accent. Why does he suddenly have one? Is he yeah. the copy? Or because then we see when the copy comes out, his hair is slicked back like it is when he shows up. So obviously that's the real Kane speaking with a southern accent. They just don't explain like what's going on. In the flashbacks, he doesn't have a southern accent. Yeah, yeah. And like no reason for him to have it. Yeah, that's a moment that we needed it de- described for us because they wrote it in a way that we can't understand what's going on. Right. They talk to in the movie about how, you know, when when you go in, technology doesn't really work very well and you're not allowed to have any video 
recordings right. of any kind. Yes. So they they, right. br- they they don't allow them to bring anything in. So then, you know, finding the recordings is a big yeah, deal. Because that is a big they, deal. <laughs> they weren't allowed to bring them in or so they yeah. were told. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas in the book, they don't mention any sort of restrictions of what they can bring. In fact, I think they have they do bring in recording devices. No, they they say that they can't bring in modern technology. All their guns are antiques. Oh, that's right. They can, they only have pen and paper or pencil and paper probably and like all that kind of stuff. But mini spoiler alert, uh, they do have cameras. Earlier expeditions did bring in right. modern technology. And then right. something happened. They don't say it explicitly what. Not they in say the first one. For some reason, uh, something went wrong. Yeah, something about the modern technology is is cause is a, a gateway for Area X to do something to you. There is not as much of a limit, it seems, in the book, but in the movie, it definitely is more of the aspect of DNA. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this is something that I only would get by <laughs> watching the movie as many times as I have and reading the book as many times as I have and maybe reading the other ones too. I didn't get this the first time I read the book, but the mitosis of that they focus on so much in the movie, like they show it over and over again, yeah. uh, which is cells dividing for anyone who doesn't know that word. <laughs> what is so interesting is that in the book, and in the sequels, and in the movie, everyone who goes in to Area X gets a copy of themselves. Like, they, in the book, it's more obvious, because, you know, they, all the people from the 11th Expedition come back, but also, they, I mean, they literally see copies of themselves from, in the 11th Expedition going into the tower when they decided not to go in. But uh, even the biologist sees, like, hey, is that my husband's eye and that dolphin? Like, the, the splitting of... Of your personality, I guess. It's I thought like that was two copies. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I um, here's a little personal story. When I saw this movie, I had I was fostering puppies at the time, and two of them had gotten parvo. The, the, a whole bunch of puppies from this yeah. uh, place had gotten parvo, uh, which is a horrible disease yeah, for it puppies. Um, it's bad for dogs too, but for puppies, it is like it you're can be lethal. It is lethal. The only mm. way they will survive is if they're like constantly um, rehydrated. Yeah. Um, so, so these puppies got parvo, and this was my first experience with anything like that. And one of them had died, and it was like this movie somehow helped me process that like parvo isn't, and and the movie goes on to say like cancer, cancer, yeah. and isn't this malicious thing. It isn't out to hurt you. It isn't out for anything. It's just doing stuff. And like, that's what the entity in the book and in the movie, it's just here doing things. It isn't trying to kill you. It isn't trying to help you. It might not even know you're there. Like, (laughs) it might not know anything. It's just kind of doing things. And I think that is like what is so horrifying. That's, That's really what's so scary is that like, it is the unknowable. We we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in the in the movie they they have this huge focus on specifically like cancer cells duplicating because they actually focus on you know Lena's character is supposed to be a specifically like a cancer specialist with yeah. the biology department at a college. And she and, teaches doctors. Yeah, and she's teaching like future doctors how to like look at cancer cells and Yeah. I thought that was interesting that they have this really big focus on that particular aspect, but that's not touched on in the books at all. Like she, she doesn't 
study any sort of like medical biology. She studies ecosystems. And it's weird that they somehow pulled that information into the movie and then they keep talking about like duplication of cells and cancer cells how they're aggressive and and then all of a sudden you start seeing things within area x are also duplicating and then the people are duplicating and they come out so then it's like are we then to assume that the copies of these people coming out of area x are basically like cancer cells that have just come into the world yeah like how how is like they don't talk about it they just are really hyper focused on cancer cells and that that's her specialty but then they they have all this setup that i wonder it's like is that what we're supposed to believe is that you know by the time these duplicated people come out of area x magically like nobody knows how they get out they just are there Right. Does that mean that they've, you know, they're they're now going to duplicate in Earth as a host? Like, it's such right. an interesting yeah. thing that they don't touch on at all. Yeah, and it's so interesting you're saying this because because we just watched the movie. And that is, like, for the first time I, I saw that, which is they, after she burns the lighthouse and everything, the guy who's in her interrogating her says, oh, they just, we just sent out a team and they just reached the lighthouse and nothing is there. So it kind of implies that, the shimmer is gone like it's all over now except when they hug and like at the end lena uh meets back up with kane and like they make it very clear that like neither of them they're both the the copies they're both the doppelgangers or they seem and to allude to that heavily <laughs> because then they zoom in on their eyes and the, the last shot shimmer. we see is their eyes shimmering um, which is like, there was another line that I really hooked onto in the movie this time. She's talking about people mix up suicide and self-destruction. Almost no one commits suicide, but almost everyone self-destructs. That's that's the line in the movie. Psychologist, yeah. Yeah, and that had never like stuck out to me, but this time it did because because I think the ending almost makes no sense. But this, I think, is what it's trying to allude to, is that through this process of self-destruction the entity of the shimmer um is leaving behind its lighthouse ties and is now inside these people and like you know how how will that go i think the sequel to the movie must be so different from the sequel to the book right because they i mean they ended it completely differently you know the, the, the endings are nothing alike the plot devices that they used in the movie are nothing alike and then you you even you know I totally forgot but like the title of the title. book they actually I was actually just thinking we should yeah, talk the, about that the book the book explains where the title annihilation comes from so it's yeah. the tr- it's the trigger word that the psychologist is supposed to give to the biologist to kill herself if things go bad it's for all yeah. of them I don't yeah. know. I think they had unique words because she found that slip of paper that had all of the different code words assigned to oh, different members. Right. So I think that each person had their own unique words so that you didn't have like a mass suicide of all three of them killing themselves at the yeah, same time because they all right, hear the same right. word. But that that is yeah. never discussed in the movie. They don't ever. I mean, I think hypnosis is not a thing in the movie. No. Yeah. And they actually lose time unlike in the book where they are hypnotized so they don't realize they lose time because they were hypnotized not because exactly. they just lost the time yeah time bend yeah and and they also you know i i feel like from what i kind of glossed from the movie the title i i guess the way that they explained the title in the movie was that um eventually you know like everything 
kind of gets absorbed and reformatted and dies and gets reborn. Like there's a lot of just like splitting and reforming and splitting and reforming. And that's kind of nature's way of annihilation is it's inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause she says it at the end when she's like, the the psychologist says it again, Mm -hmm. but in the wrong context. In the wrong context. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She, she tells her that this is just going, yeah, that the, the end result of all this annihilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you know, I guess, you know, thinking about it, I guess I like that annihilation, the word, ties in more in the movie, because in the book, it's just a command, like, kill yeah. yourself. But, you know, that's interesting, too, because, again, the suicide comes up. I wonder what kind of ties, I wonder how the book talks about suicide, just because the movie mentions it, and the book almost commands it to one of the characters. She tries Um, to use it um, on the biologist, but then it doesn't work because she already has the spores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about the scenes where they find, the two scenes where she finds the psychologist? I, I, she finds her on the beach. Yeah, she's just jumped off the lighthouse. She finds her, she jumped out the window of the lighthouse and she's propped up against the side of the the lighthouse. Yeah, she's she's in the process of dying. And it's like she's got the cut on her arm that's got like moss or something growing out of it. She's getting like like, absorbed by the around She's like growing into something, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the moment where we're really introduced to the brightness that's in the biologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's like literally glowing. Yeah, which is interesting because in the movie, it's the psychologist, the one at the end who starts going. Oh, and, yeah, that's that is true. Yeah. And she becomes yeah. the the fractal. The light. Yeah, whatever yeah, that, that light weird. bubble is. I wonder, I wonder why it's going to be that way. The ending was very confusing. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. I, I don't because they have her run off and then she finds her at the lighthouse, which is kind of on with the book. But then it's like, yeah. you know obviously something has happened to her of what we don't know but she's kind of like in almost in the fetal position in a pedestal in a big ass like glass yeah. room like it's just it and she doesn't have any eyes she's speaking nonsense but she's not saying the nonsense from the book she's just saying nonsense right, right. and then you know there's this like big obsidian room that's instead of yeah you, you just like it's it, the whole thing just didn't really make sense and i yeah that room is what i imagine the tower to look like yeah, but the entire tower. Yeah, exactly. Right, and and you know it didn't. I I guess because they pushed so hard with the whole it's an alien thing. Like they they really pushed that element in the movie, and I think they're like, what's alien but looks organic, but is yeah. it? And it was just a very weird way to depict it, and I don't know how I feel yeah. about it. <laughs> it kind of looked like um, what is it? H.R. Geiger, Geeker, uh, who is the guy who? Yeah, he designed the alien stuff. And like in all of that stuff, uh, I think his name was H.R. Geeker. Um, I think you're right. It it feels kind of like that style. Um, totally. That room. That room feels like that style of, of art. And I think he actually was uh, an artist first. And then I think, I, I'm trying to remember, because I feel like I've seen a lot of drawings of his that you can tell that it's that they're his because of how specific his style is. Yeah. Yeah, you're, so you're saying that, like, they chose that art style to, like, drum into our heads, like, this is an alien. Look, it's the same art style as alien. It's literally the same. Because <laughs> if not, what a coincidence. That, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they certainly wouldn't leave something like that, uh, you know, a chance to hold the audience's hand again. Right. Gotta have that. 
Because the beginning is literally like you have the scene and it shows like the the meteor hitting, like you said, and it, it like it's so clear. There's no talking. There's just the music meteor yeah. coming mm-hmm. down and hitting the lighthouse. Yeah. And then we can see that like the meteor crashed through the wall, crashed through the floor and probably tunneled into the ground a little bit. And like, yeah. So that's why it it is shaped that way. Right. And it uh-huh. looks like a meteorite-esque coloring and shape formation because it looks like something really, really hot that glassed over. So, I mean, they they definitely have explanation, but I don't think it's a good one. <laughs> I don't think so either. I think this experience of, um, of seeing the movie, reading the book, and then seeing the movie again, I have changed my mind about how to watch a movie that's based on a book i think now you should see the movie without reading the book because you you just get obviously so much more from the book that it might color your reception of the movie because i really liked the movie when i saw it the first time yeah same and after reading the book i was like pulling my hair out like i wish i could be a fly on the wall in those meetings and figure out like what were you thinking? What were you, what were you doing when you made these decisions? Um, because I think the book is completely filmable. I think you could make a movie page for page of what the book is saying. And after watching it again, like I do, I've come back to liking the movie again, you know, appreciating it for what it is. But I think I think you should watch the movie and then read the book. I think it, it definitely ch- changes the way that you see the movie because the movie standalone, I think, is is quite good, but comparing it to the book, it definitely kind of lacks the cohesiveness that the book has. And I think standalone for sure. Keep them separate if you're going to if you're going to see or yeah. read it. Yeah. I, when I first saw it, I remember when it when it came out in 2018. It's got you know five female leads, which is like I think at the time 2018, I think there was a huge Me Too movement happening still happening but it was really in full swing then um and this movie came out that was with five female leads and they were all you know scientists smart you know motivated characters um but but then after reading the book i was like oh my god at least the biologist is so much better in the book like now this is a character with motivations and like with a sense of purpose and like this character could be it's like ripley from uh from alien it's oh like, totally yeah this character could be any gender and it doesn't matter like that is yeah. so irrelevant to this character and yeah, that I, I thought i was like this was such the the book version of of the biologist is so so such a good character so much more f- feminist if you're gonna say that like she's, yeah. not, she's not arguing for feminism but she is just a good character with yeah. flaws and like and you know her own weird things and in the movie everything is predicated on her feelings for her husband it's all yeah. about her husband yeah yeah what about you aaron what are your final thoughts I I agree with everything you guys just said. <laughs> um, I think that the you know when when I think of the the two side by side, it's very hard to get behind the movie because you're right. The character development is beautifully put in the book, and and it has so much power and so much oomph. And the movie kind of falls into those very stereotypical tropes of you know, well, no one's going to be interested in a leading lady unless there's a love interest involved. And so there was a lot of they fell into a lot of those traps that I was like, man, I wish you wouldn't have done that, considering what you what canvas you had to work with. Right. Um, but 
I did like the movie like visually and soundtrack and just as a story by itself, if you don't know there's a book involved, I I did think it was very cool and very interesting, but it's, it does definitely pale in comparison to the book for sure. Yeah. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining me. This was an amazing conversation. And I know that we could have probably spent another three hours talking about that. Uh, Um, There's so much more that we didn't even touch on. So there's two more books. I know. And there's two more books (laughs) that aren't even, you know, that I still have to go back and read myself. And um, for anybody listening, if you, if you, if this didn't inspire you to read the book or watch the movie, I strongly suggest go and, and watch them because we didn't even touch on everything that happened in either of these. But, and I would like to leave uh, everybody with, um, I have a question for the two of you. What are you guys reading or listening to or watching right now that you would like to highlight just for our listeners? Let me see what I'm reading right now. Um, (laughs) Well, I'll say this. I'm halfway between two books that I just can't push myself through. Um, The Dark Forest, which is the sequel to The Three-Body Problem. The Three-Body Problem is an amazing book. And I think they're even making it into a movie. Um, If they're not, I'm sure they are. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, it's it's really good. And The Dark Forest, I don't know. It's not doing it for me. (laughs) So, So, I don't know. Who's that by, BJ? Oh, it's by, um, it's a Chinese author, so I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. I think it's like Uh-oh. Shishin Liu, um, okay. I think is his name, or that might be the um, the translator. Mm, um, okay. But the three-body problem, it, it'll come up because it was like, he is a Chinese sci-fi writer, and I mean, all, he's he's got a bunch of good books. Yeah, right. so he'll come up. Cool. And Daniel? Yeah, so I'm reading a book called Altered. Uh, which sci-fi book Richard K. Morgan um, and it's actually also part of a trilogy of books um, but uh, Netflix has actually made it into a two-season show so I would highly suggest people read the book I'm, I've been loving the book it's actually surprisingly close to the Netflix show and I so far have been loving that uh, that order so yeah well thank you both again so much for joining me this has been a blast Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was fun. Yeah, and then to our listeners, thank you again for sitting through our very first episode, and we will see you next time. Thanks. All right. And then your song's going <laughs> to play, and music obviously. Music. <laughs>